Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. So let's hear it today. Let's hear it today. I want to talk a little bit about, I want to follow up. Josh Engel came and talked about evangelism uh, last week. And so I want to follow up a little bit on what he talked about. It was a profound word. It was awesome. He taught us what it looks like to go out, be evangelist. He told stories. Uh, we came back that night and had an encounter night of worship. It was awesome. And so I just want to follow up with some things that, and hopefully provoke you. And I, I use that word not lightly. I want to provoke your heart of why we do evangelism. We don't just do evangelism for evangelism's sake. We do it for a reason. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today. How many of you guys have difficult people in your life? If they're sitting beside you, put your hand down quick, okay? Uh, difficult people in your life. I, w- there are difficult people in life, and when those difficult people rise up, sometimes you don't know how to handle those people. We've got a difficult person in our life. I don't know who they are, but they break into our shed constantly, okay? So two weeks ago, our shed, I noticed the door was open a little bit, and um, I thought, oh, somebody just you know, left it open, and I went back there, and I saw that somebody had kicked the door in, and they had stolen some stuff out of our shed. Now, this has happened like almost every single year with us. Um, we try to not put things in there of value because of that. Uh, but we had just finished vacation Bible school. We had put a uh, generator in there just for like a day. We're going to put it in there for a day, and then we're going to take it out because somebody's going to come pick it up. And in that 24-hour period, somebody had kicked that shed open, and they had stolen that generator. And so i got to tell you, that kind of difficult person irritates the heck out of me. Amen. I was so mad, and so I said to Ryan, I said, Ryan, pull up the video. We got video cameras back there, and you can see it as clear as day. I see his vehicle, I see the guy, I see his wife, and I am just angry. I'm watching, they're trying to cut the lock off, they can't get it off, so he starts kicking the door. I'm like, bro, I would have brought you bolt cutters. You know what I'm saying? I was more irritated that he broke the door. And anybody like that when they break your window, you're like, I would have opened it for you at that point. And so they kick it in, and he's in there, and obviously they're strung out. You can tell on video that they're, they're struggling. They're struggling with some kind of vice in their life, some kind of addiction in their life. And so he's in there, it's dark, and he pulls down, I enjoyed this part, he pulled down all of our stuff that we use for like festivals and things, and all of these hula hoops fell on his head. And they light up and they glow. So he was like, and I was like eating popcorn at that time. But I was, I, then his wife gets out, and so they tie the generator up, and they can't even get, they have a small SUV, and this was a massive generator. They're like, I, they got to drag it down the street. That's the only way they could get it. But the whole time I'm watching this, I'm just, I'm just getting more and more angry. I'm like asking the Lord to bring the fire of heaven down upon them. Not a good fire, right? But I'm just, I'm angry, I'm angry, and for about a day, I'm just seething, and I'm like, like, things are going through my mind, like, I want to sit on that shed with a pellet gun, and like, all this, right? Anybody? Don't, don't act like you're perfect. Sinners. All right. Like, we, like, this is how we feel when people do that, and then, all of a sudden, the Lord just hits my heart, and this spirit of conviction comes over me. And all I'm doing is just spewing out anger towards this couple. And the Lord is going, Aaron, don't you see something different? They're missing something in their life. They've given themselves over to an addiction or something in their life. And they don't know the hope 
that you know in me. And everything began to change in my life in that moment. I'm not kidding. Like this anger that I had, I began to watch the video with a different lens. And what I saw was people. And all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me, do you remember when that was you? Maybe you weren't breaking into sheds, but you didn't know me, and you were lost and wounded in life, and you were running your own course. And everything began to change. This is the driving force behind why we do evangelism. This is the driving force. There's a word that Scripture is going to use, reconciliation. Everybody say reconciliation. The word that Scripture uses that's the driving force behind evangelism is this word reconciliation. And reconciliation is the heart of God. It's what our responsibility is. Everybody say, I have a responsibility. It's part of our responsibility in Christ. We've been doing this work on this little diagram over the past few weeks, if you bring that up. We've been talking about this is what the temple of the Lord looked like. Remember, the temple of the Lord is now in our hearts. So Jesus comes and he dies and, and he gives his life for us. We've been washed clean. We've got the oil of the Holy Spirit poured out upon us. And we've crossed that dotted line, which is the threshold, to get into the place of the Holy of Holies. This is where every believer should be living their life, is to say, I have access to the Holy of Holies with God. It's right here in my heart. This is our goal. Now, in that place of the Holy of Holies, the Lord is doing a work in you. He's doing something. In this place, you behold the king. And when you behold the king, all of the king's business becomes your business. And if the king's business, if King Jesus' business is that he cares about every heart, what should our business become about? Everybody say every heart. Every heart. And so all of a sudden, when we get into this place, we see rightly, and now all of a sudden, we're, because we see rightly, we see people through the lens of Christ. Everything begins to change in our life. This is what reconciliation is all about. This is why we're driven to evangelism. This is what compels us. This is why we have a church called Reliance. This is why we care deeply that you don't spend your days in these walls. This is why we want you to get outside of these walls, because it's the heart of God. This is what drives us. This is what motivates us that every single person would come knowing that Jesus Christ can not only change their life but can change their neighbor's life. Or some guy breaking into our shed's life. He comes in and he fulfills, he fills you with, with his desires. He's not forcing you, but he's looking for your willingness. He's looking for your willingness to partner with him, which in turn, when you willingly partner with him, it's the greatest fulfillment in your life. Church, if you're out there today and you're like, man, I just don't know what my purpose is. I feel like I'm wandering through life. I feel like I'm, I hit these walls and, man, I just don't know what life is all about. I'm telling you, life is all about him and his purpose, and when you find that, you get to a place where you go, oh my gosh, it really is about him. He, like, I've got purpose now in anything I do because I know my purpose <clears throat> is in Christ. And so, this word reconciliation, an act of making two groups friendly, is a reconciliation between the God of the universe and that man or that woman that's lost and they don't know him. And we're supposed to stand in that gap in reconciliation. Why is this important? Because outside of our life being fully devoted to God and bringing him glory, that's our number one goal, is to have a life that's fully devoted to God and bring him glory, and there's lots of ways in which we can do that. Outside of that, everything that we do in life should be bent towards a heart of reconciliation. 
I could show it to you all through scripture, and I'm, I'm going to here in just a moment. Out of all the things that Jesus did, over and over, there's a theme. He restored, he renamed, he reconciled. He restored, he renamed, he reconciled. You'll find it in the Old Testament as well. They sinned in the Garden of Eden. God comes in that says that they were naked and ashamed. God closes, clo- put, clo- puts clothes on them. And then all of a sudden you get to the place of the flood. God's like, man, every thought of mankind is on evil all the time. I'm going to wipe him out. But he doesn't. He leaves Noah and his family and he brings reconciliation. And you'll see this with Abraham. You'll see this all through scripture. God is about even when you disobey, I'm going to reconcile you back to me. And then Jesus is going to come and put the finishing touches on. I'm really getting into this thing right here. Jesus is going to come put the finishing touches on in Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Here's what it says. For in him, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile, somebody say to reconcile, to himself all things, that's you, you're all things. He means it, all things, not some things, not some people, but all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, and here's the key, this is what we were talking about with communion, by his blood on the cross. Now, If this is Jesus Christ now living in me, okay, if this temple picture that we had is that Jesus now dies on the cross, goes to heaven, pours out his Holy Spirit so that he can come and make a dwelling place inside of us. And if Jesus' goal in his ministry was to reconcile all the lost back to him, what should our goal be if he lives here? Everybody say reconciliation. If that's what Jesus' goal was when he was walking on planet earth, goes to heaven so he can pour his spirit out and put his spirit in each one of us, we have a responsibility to continue to do what he was doing. Let's talk about that for a minute. What did Jesus do? When you catch that vision of the king, it's not complicated. All of a sudden, you walk in that holy of holies place, you catch a vision of the king, and you catch a vision of his kingdom, and now, because he lives here, because he dwells here inside of our life, now we're after what he's after. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. Meaning, when he fills me up, it's his life that's radiating from me. It's his life, his desires, his actions, his moves, his wants that are supposed to come out of me. So what does he want? Well, number one, he tells us he wants to destroy the works of the devil. Look what he says in 1 John 3, 8. We've done work on this. The reason, somebody say the reason. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? It's the reason he appeared. He's like, I'm done with this guy. I'm coming to destroy the works of the devil. Death and sin and shame and condemnation, I'm finished with it. I'm going to come destroy that. So if that's why Jesus came and now he lives inside of us, what should we be after? Here we go. Destroy the works of the devil. All right. Number two. Number two. You're going to catch on, I promise, because we got three of them, right? Number two. So he came to destroy the works of the devil. Number two. He came to, everybody say, set the captives free. That's freedom. He came to bring freedom. He didn't come just to destroy the works of the devil so that now you're lost, broken, and and, and walking around. You don't know what to do. He came to set you free. Here's what he says in Luke 4.18. He's quoting Old Testament here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It was a prophecy about him when he would come. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim. Somebody say the word proclaim. That means we're speaking about it. He has sent me to proclaim freedom. 
for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here we go. If Jesus lives in me and that's why I came, what should we be about? Set the captives free. Setting the captives free. Number three, he came so that all would know him. So that all would know him. He didn't come to reveal himself to a few and then laugh at the many that don't know him. He came so that every single heart would come to know hope in him. Look what he says, Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who's everyone? Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? That's not a rhetorical question. He's asking us as the church. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So again, if he's in us, what does he care deeply about? That all would know him. He cares about these things. Church, this is a big deal. When we talk about evangelism, this isn't evangelism because it's a buzzword. This isn't evangelism because it's kind of cute. This isn't evangelism because, oh, I know, somebody said we should do it. This is the driving force of being compelled by the love of Christ. This is looking at the dude kicking our door in at the shed and going, Lord, I want you to bring fire down. He goes, I want you to bring love to them. What are you going to do? And so there is a charge in our heart of how we look at people and how we respond to people. We should care deeply about the things that the Lord cares deeply about. But as it is, we think that this job belongs to the few instead of the many. And that's a problem. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, that was a long intro. Let's go. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. <clears throat> Man, we, I feel like we come around to this a lot. I think it's important. We just talked about the fear of the Lord a couple of weeks ago. And here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. Um, Paul says in verse 11, we understand our fearful, somebody say fearful. We understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. That word fearful is supposed to bring seriousness to the statement. Not just that we understand our responsibility to the Lord, but we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. In other words, if my kids come to me and I tell them, hey, I want you guys to clean your room, and they don't think that I really mean it, how many of you guys think they're cleaning the room? Yeah, they're not. Now, they come to me, and I go, you didn't clean your room, and I lay the hammer down, okay? Because I, I can lay the hammer down, right? And I lay the hammer down, and I say, you didn't clean your room, and there's a discipline. The next time that I tell them, you need to clean your room, how many of us know they have a fearful responsibility in that? I go down, they clean their room. Why? They carry weight to this now. It means something now when dad or mom says to clean your room. There's a fearful responsibility they carry. I think part of the issue today, church, is that we don't, care, we don't carry a fearful responsibility anymore. We like suggestions by the Lord, but we don't carry a fearful responsibility. Yeah? Are we good? I'll provoke you. Here we go. He says, because of this fearful responsibility, we work easy. What do we do? We work hard. Look, I get it. It's not easy work. I get it. It's not going to make you comfortable all the time. It's not like you get to sit back in a recliner and be like, all right, I'm ready to share the gospel. Like, there's a hard work sometimes that's attached to this thing. 
There's a looking and an intentionality we're going to talk about with this. We work hard to persuade others. Either way, skipping down to verse 14, he says, either way, Christ's love controls us, or, or another version says compels us. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Because Jesus' love touched me, now I can look at the guy breaking into our shed, and I can be like, Lord, I can get angry at him, or I can pray that this man would meet you face to face. The love of Christ compels me. And he says this, <clears throat> since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Listen to this. He died for everyone. Look at those words, so that. He's about to tell you why. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. He's given us straight his heart, church. Not optional, not like, well, you can live for yourself if you want to. It just depends on how you interpret that. You can't interpret that any other way. He came, he died, so that you get a new life, so that you will no longer live for yourselves. <clears throat> Instead, they will live for Christ, who died for us and was raised for them. So from now on, we regard nobody from a humanly point of view, worldly point of view, okay? We're looking differently at one another now. We're looking differently. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer do so. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us. Here we go. Now we're getting our, we're going into the Holy of Holies. He's giving us something in there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given something. Yes, you have spiritual gifts. Yes, you have talents. Yes, you have abilities. Praise the Lord. Go use those, all right? But he gave you the ministry of reconciliation, which was his ministry when he was walking here on planet Earth. Now he's given it to you. Look what he says. <clears throat> and that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God is making his appeal through us, we implore you. Listen to the language. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Not only did he give it to us, now he's repeating something. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation, and now he committed it to you. And when somebody commits something to you, there's a deeper level there. And that word is, is that he's going a lot deeper than just going, I should do it. He's committed it to you, this message of re reconciliation. It means he's placed it upon us. That's heavy language. When I was in youth ministry years ago, I started youth ministry in 2001 um, as a youth pastor. And I remember in those days, everybody believed the youth ministry was to help them move their houses. Amen? You guys know what I'm talking about? People used to call in all the time. We make Jacob do it now. Um, people used to call in all the time and they'd say, hey, could you and the youth group help me move my house? I loved it. I, I loved being able to do that, getting the youth together and help. But I would always commit. I would say yes before I ever knew if anybody could help. And so our student leaders would come. Our student leadership team would come. And I would tell them, hey. Guys, I want you to know I've committed you to help move a house, meaning you're going to do the work and I'm going to step back and watch you, right? I committed you to it. Now, that meant something to them. When I committed that to them, they knew they had a responsibility and they needed to show up. That's what it means when somebody commits you to something. I was committed to it. It means I've got a responsibility. They're counting on me to show up. Church, 
listen, the Lord is counting on you to do this ministry of reconciliation. He's counting on you. And here we are in church singing songs about his blood. And man, it's only by your blood you've saved me, redeemed me. And everybody's stoked about that. And we're all excited about how God has moved in our life. And we've got people out there and the Lord's going, I'm counting on you to go share the gospel. And we're letting fear and intimidation and worry. And what if they don't like me? What if they don't like me? This has got expiration to it. Amen? But he's going to love you for all eternity. What is compelling us and driving us? It's the love of Christ. Okay. I get a little excited about that one. <clears throat> He's committed it to us. And listen, when I committed these students to go and help move a house, they weren't supposed to show up begrudging like, ah, we're here because Aaron made me do it. I don't want to be here. Tell me, give me a box, Right? That wasn't supposed to be the heart behind it. This is what I'd always tell them right before we'd go in and move a house. I would say, hey guys, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, dear brothers and sisters, be strong and movable. They knew I was about to Jesus juke them. Always work what? You get to move a house. You get to lift somebody's couches. You get to get cat fur in your face. Amen, right? You get to do these things, and so if you're going to do it, do it enthusiastically. We're not asking you to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ like, okay, do you want to know the love of Christ? It does no good. It does no good, church, I'm telling you. We... We're compelled because somebody shared Jesus with us. We came into Christ. Rather, he came into us, and it did something in us. It's why you're here. You wouldn't spend time on a Sunday morning at church being yelled at if you didn't love Christ. You wouldn't. It did something. And so now we get with enthusiasm, enthusiastically now, we get to do this for the Lord. Look what he says. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Come on. Nothing you do for the Lord is useless. And so because of this ministry of reconciliation that he's given us, we're, we're bringers of hope. We're not hope. He's hope. We're bringers of hope. This is what we get to do. What a beautiful thing that God marked you that you get to bring hope to somebody. You don't get to be hope, you get to bring it. What a beautiful thing. And so here's what we know. When, when because of this message of reconciliation, we bring hope, and this new hope that we bring is God can make you new. Think of this, that, that, that his transforming, his renaming power came over your life in whatever state you were in. I don't care if you were like cracked out, drunk, whatever, you were out there, affairs, sexual morality, a pornography riddled your life, whatever it was, in a moment, Jesus could come in and make you new. And now we get to bring that hope. Maybe for you it's like, no, that wasn't my life, man. I was born on the front row of church and I've just kind of always known the Lord. There was still, so I felt like I've always been good in my life. Look, we know good doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus does. So even that, you're like, I feel like I was pretty good. And he goes, that's great that you felt like you're good. You still needed me. You still needed me. And so this is what we get to carry 
We get to carry this to somebody and we get to tell them when they're sitting there going, man, you don't know. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my life. I'm a terrible person. And they've listened to those lies. We get to go, man, when Jesus comes in, here's hope. When Jesus comes in and you hear the words, I'm a terrible person, the Lord says, you're a wonderful son. I'm a brutal mom. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible wife. And the Lord goes, you're a beautiful daughter. Which one are you going to latch on to? This is the hope that we get to carry. And I've watched this in men. I'm going to speak um, specifically about men. I know this is happening in women as well. I just get to do a lot with the men's ministries here. I'm watching men, and they're on fire for the Lord. And I'm watching guys come to Bible studies and watching guys do these trips. And, and all of a sudden, you get a room full of guys. And then something happens in that room full of guys. All of a sudden, somebody will break out, and they'll say, I just got to share with you like, what I'm struggling with. And that, that one confession of sharing, I'm watching now all the men in the room. They're just like, oh, me, right? And everybody's pouring their stuff out. And there's tears because no guy acts like they cry, but they do, FYI, right? <laughs> And like, and there's just tears, and it's beautiful. Why? Because you've got these men who've been like strong their whole life, getting wrecked by the love of God. And you can't deny it. This is what reconciliation does. And there's always one. There's always one or, or a handful of guys, and they've come in, and they're just like, I don't know, I'm kind of seeing what this whole Jesus thing is. And when they watch that room do that, it wrecks their life. I had a guy come in the other day, man, it was awesome came in the other, he's fairly new to the life of the church, and he goes, I have never heard so many men tell each other, love you, bro. That's so weird. He's like, it was so weird. I've never heard so many men say, I love you, bro. I love you, bro. I love you, bro. And I was like, that's awesome. And as he left, he goes, hey, love you, bro. It was so cool. That culture has come into his heart that we're brothers in Christ. This is reconciliation. All right. It's the grace of God that transforms you and you wanna extend that to other people. It's the ministry that's been given to you for the world. And I think it's clear from this passage, it's the ministry that the Lord is waiting on for his church to pick up. Second Peter 3, 9, we, we've done work on this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. What does he say? Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with you. Why? Look what he says. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Hey, God's being patient with you. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He's like, start carrying the ministry that I've given to you. Pick up this fearful responsibility. And so why, why is it, let me just share real quickly, why is it we're struggling so, so much with this? Why is it we're running in this like we should be running in this? And I think some of it is we just don't make the kingdom of God our highest priority. We just don't make the things of God our highest priority. We've got a thousand things. We, 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 we've got a lot that we're running in. We're, we're distracted beyond despair. And the things of God, they're important to us. They're not the most important to us. Listen to Paul. Real quickly, listen to Paul in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul's towards, he's getting towards the end of his life. He knows his life is about to end. He's getting ready to get on some ships, head to Rome, where eventually he'll be killed. And this is what Paul says to the believers around him. He says, I know that none of you among whom I've gone out preaching the gospel will ever see me again. He knows it in his heart. You're not going to see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. This is the weight that Paul saw the ministry of reconciliation in. For I have not hesitated 
Here's that word, to proclaim. Somebody say proclaim. To you the whole will of God. Paul saw that when he would go into a place, he had a fearful responsibility because Jesus Christ was in him to make sure that he would declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Not begrudgingly, enthusiastically. It was his desire, it was his passion. And he's like, I just want you to know, at the end of my life, I am innocent of the blood because I have boldly proclaimed to you the truth of Jesus. I don't know that the kingdom of God is our highest priority. Um, I know that busy lives uh, mean that we sit there and we say things like, I just don't have time. I just don't have time. Let me show you how David saw time real quick. King David in scripture, this is how he viewed time in Psalm 39. This is what he prayed for. This would be a strange prayer. Some of us could write this down. Maybe this would be our prayer. Psalm 39.4, he says, Oh Lord, help me understand my mortality and the brevity of my life. I think we have a little bit of an immortality problem in our heart. We think we're just going to live forever. Let me realize how quickly my life will pass. What a strange prayer. Look, you, you make my days short-lived and my lifespan is nothing from your perspective. Here's what David is trying to get. He's like, I know that a hundred years is nothing to you and I've been bound for millions and trillions and gazillions of years for, with you for all of eternity. He's like, Lord, teach me that in this flesh. Teach me the perspective of what life really is. Look what he says. Surely all people, even those who seem secure, there are those who seem secure, like we got it, we got this handled, are nothing but a vapor. <laughs> we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in what? Here's what David is going. I could do a thousand things today, but none of it matters if it doesn't have eternity on it. I got so mad at the guy breaking into our shed and stealing our stuff. And the Lord is like, Aaron, you're mad because he stole up generator and had hula hoops fall on his head that stuff means nothing you're mad because he kicked a door in of a shed that's going to fall apart anyways one day don't you care about eternity written on his heart messed me up we're comfortable we're comfortable don't don't mess with my life lord i'm comfortable and then just real quickly, we really truly believe this is somebody else's role. We, we think that, that the ministry of reconciliation is a spiritual gift that some have and some don't. It's not. There are spiritual gifts that he divvies out, but the ministry of reconciliation, the core of evangelism is for every single person in you. It's gonna take us going to take us to get intentional. Reconciliation has intentionality behind it. You're not just going to sit there and do nothing. There's intentionality. You're praying. You walk into, get your oil changed. You're sitting in that chair. You're praying, Lord, if somebody sits by me, I'm going to share the gospel with them. You're intentional about it. You're sitting in your workspace and you're praying, Lord, customer walks in and they open any door, any door that I feel like you want me to walk through with it. I'm sharing Jesus with them. There's an intentionality behind it. There's a vulnerability to it. I told you about the men. 
when the men get together and they start talking and their hearts start sharing and the atmosphere changes. And when that vulnerability hits that room, I'm telling you, guys that have never shared start opening up and there is a beautiful moment where hearts are being touched. Why? Because there's vulnerability and recon reconciliation. You may have to share your story. Some of you have done so good trying to hide that thing. You were so deep into your darkest addictions and you're like, I don't want anybody to know that. But you're here because the Lord saved you. He redeemed you, why not use it for His glory? I was living in trash and God reached down and pulled me up. You may have to get vulnerable with your story. There's humility. Humility means we're coming under. You see people, you're sharing Jesus. This is how He did it with His disciples. He went low, he got under them, the betrayer, the deceiver, he got under them, he washed their feet. We gotta practice some humility in restoration and reconciliation. So here's what I wanna do. We're gonna pray, you're gonna pray, they're gonna lead, they're gonna sing this song over us. In just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to stand and sing it. I want you to begin to pray specific names for God to open a door for you. Aunt Susie, Uncle Billy, neighbor Joe, co-worker, Paul, whoever, begin to specifically ask the Lord, Lord, you have put the ministry of reconciliation on me, and I want to be intentional, start praying for some names. And I'm going to pray that this week God begins to open up a door for you, begins to open up a window, an avenue, whatever for you to go, man, he just said this, I'm going to come in with the gospel. It doesn't have to be super neat and tidy and clean. You can just say, can I tell you that Jesus saved my life? See what they do. That's wonderful news. It could be wonderful news for you too. See what they do. You don't have to have all the head knowledge, church. Simply have a love affair with Jesus that compels you. Amen? Spend a moment praying. Let's pray for our friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members. Name them by name. God, open a door. Name them by name. God, open a door. The band's going to sing over us. And then I'm going to have you join us in a minute. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day to day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.